What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can always listen to our podcast on Spotify and on Apple Music and Podcasts. You give us a rating, a like, whatever whatever you do on those sites. Uh, you can follow our socials on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, I'm always open to um, any feedback on Facebook and Twitter or you know anywhere you can find me. Um, always looking for feedback on the show and appreciate it because um, this is a really fun thing that I really enjoy doing and uh, always down for uh, hearing people's uh, constructive criticism or if you have any you know thoughts about uh, what you want to hear more of. Um, I'm always open to hear suggestions for uh, different types of guests as well. Um, I know that I've tried to branch out a little bit with some of the topics, uh, especially last week. And, you know, speaking of last week, if you still have not gotten a chance to listen to my interview or my conversation with Alex Movasoli about the uh, UFC, definitely should check that out. That was a, a really fun conversation that we had last week. So um, you can always check that out. Let me know how that goes. I'm really excited. This week we have a uh, another guest, a, a good friend of mine from Springfield College, Matt Plew. Uh, two of us did uh, radio shows together uh, for a few years at Springfield, so I'm very excited to have Matt come on. Uh, guest Friday this week we'll be talking about college basketball, kind of a lead up to March Madness as Selection Sunday is, uh, is two week, was two weeks from yesterday, so... Um, it is about that time, so I'm really excited for that interview, so that will be out for you guys sometime on Friday. But today, obviously, we have a lot to get to in terms of the Boston teams. There was a, a Boston team that uh, kicked off their regular season this past weekend, so we'll talk about the Revolution, their opening draw in Portland. Um, but obviously, got a lot of Bruins, a lot of Celtics, um, and some Patriots stuff to get to as the um, NFL scouting combine starts this week for um, prospects that hope to be drafted. So we'll get going. We'll talk a little bit about the Bruins to get going on this uh, Monday, the last day of February, if you can believe it. Um, so the Bruins, obviously in the midst of a four-game winning streak, have opened up their six-game West Coast road trip or six-game road trip, because actually the last game is not on the West Coast. It's in Columbus. Um, but the Bruins start the road trip with two straight wins. So, you know, adding on to the win against Ottawa last weekend and then the win against uh, the Avalanche that uh, we talked about last week or kind of leading up to, or the episode last week led up to the game, uh, the Bruins probably played their best game um, against Colorado. That was... Uh, a tremendous game a lot of people played really really well I thought the Bruins you know held their own against arguably the best team in the league I have my own reservations about Colorado you know they obviously have the most points in the league they're probably the most you know potent potent offense but the Bruins uh to me they kind of exposed Colorado a little bit you know not like the Bruins you know gave every team in the league a blueprint for how to beat this team but you know, the way the Bruins were able to kind of continually keep pressure on their defense, keeping the puck in the offensive zone, you know, making them play defense, so to speak, you know, having a lot of guys chasing around, skating around, you know, the Bruins did a really good job in that game, you know, got some goals from from big, um, 
contributors or have been big contributors over the last few games. Um, but that was an outstanding win. And then the Bruins followed up with an OT win in Seattle uh, last Thursday. Jake DeBrus getting two, including the game winner in OT. And then the Bruins with a 3-1 win in San Jose on Saturday night. So the Bruins uh, following up that big win against Colorado with back-to-back wins to start the road trip. Obviously, things do not get easier for the Bruins because tonight they kick off a four-game in six-day um, week, so to speak, as the Bruins play uh, Los Angeles tonight, Anaheim tomorrow, Vegas on Thursday, and then they will travel to Columbus on Saturday, which will uh, conclude their road trip. So it's going to be a busy, busy week for the Bruins, but um, it's good to see that they're back on track. It's good to see that some guys have been able to score some goals. You know, Taylor Hall, David Pasternak um, broke through with some goals recently, some, you know, point production, which is always good from those guys. But obviously, as I mentioned, Jake DeBrusque has been huge recently. He has scored points in five consecutive games. I believe that he's scored goals or hadn't scored goals in three straight games. So um, obviously a big stretch for him. And I think that obviously considering the things that Jake has been through this season, I think that it's good to see that he is getting, you know, the production kind of to match the level of play that he's had. Because I do think that sometimes... You know, he does do a lot of good things on the ice, but he sometimes does not get rewarded, you know, not in the sense that, like, his teammates are are rewarding him. That's not what I'm saying. But I think, like, oftentimes a guy will play well, but it doesn't reflect in the point totals, you know. And I think that it's good to see as Jake has had points in four straight games, had goals in three straights. Actually, I was wrong there, but he has had four straight games where he's recorded at least a point had an assist against San Jose, and then obviously had the two goals against uh, Seattle. So it's good to see that he is getting some, you know, run on that first line. You know, I think that that was something that was kind of of interest as the Bruins seem to have found a good unit with Charlie Coyle, uh, Trent Frederick, and Craig Smith, you know, and then obviously Marshan coming back um, against Seattle. Bruins changed some things around, Um, but it was good to see that Jake was kind of the beneficiary of being able to stay in the lineup and, you know, being promoted to that top unit. And obviously he's played the right wing at times in his Bruins career. It's not his natural spot. He doesn't really look great playing that all the time, but I think that he's adjusted really well. And I think has finally started to play the way that we expect him to play, you know, Not that we expect him to get points every single game. You know, I think that that's hard to expect even for the superstar players. But it just is good to see that he's engaged and he is getting, you are are seeing the production. You know, because like I said, sometimes a guy plays well, but it doesn't reflect in the point totals. And I think that it's good to see that he's not only playing well, but it's getting reflected that way. So it's been excellent to see that, you know, obviously the trade request is still looming. And I think that I still am of the belief that the Bruins are using or hoping that Jake can pick up his game so that they can get a better return in a trade, you know, if that's what they decide to do. Um, Because I don't think that he's returning to this team past this year. Um, I think that they're, I think it's going to be one of two things. The Bruins either are going to continue to try to up his value 
and try to trade him, put him in a bigger package, or see if you can trade him for someone like Max Domi, just, just as an example. Um, or do the Bruins decide, hey, we like what we've seen from him, we'll hang on to him the rest of the season um, and kind of treat him as a rental winger. Um, I think that that's a possibility. I don't think that that's something that I would prefer necessarily, but the Bruins might decide that, okay, you know, could the Bruins use a scoring winger? Absolutely, in the trade market, but I think that they have two two bigger pressing needs, and so the thought process might be, okay, if we can't get a scoring winger, we might as well keep Jake around to kind of be that rental, but then on the other hand, if he continues to play well, you know, his trade value might continue to get better. So it's something to it's something to continue watching. You know, obviously he's been playing excellent, which is great. And I think that that makes things a lot easier for the Bruins. Um, and I also think that Jake kind of deserves some credit, I think, for being able to play through this trade request and not, you know, making a scene and being like, I'm not going to play a game until you trade me. You know, I think that He's always been professional. Um, I think that there are some people that might disagree with that and think like, okay, you really should be speaking to the media, but it's his decision at the end of the day. And um, I think, you know, it's, I think it is a challenging thing with players talking to the media. And I think that as much as it is important to get quotes, I do also think at the end of the day, though, I don't think it should be a requirement that players should be having to speak to the media and maybe that's a wild take but I think like athletes kind of to me I think deserve to be treated more like regular people and it's like I don't know I just think like Jake has his own reasons for why he made the trade request and if he wants to keep those to the if the he wants to keep those reasons to himself then that's totally fine you know there shouldn't be any type of conversation that okay he's soft or he's selfish or whatever people were saying that like oh you need to tell us why you want to be traded and it's like well I don't think he has to so um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him I think in the next few weeks as the Bruins uh, approach the trade deadline as we're actually three weeks away from the deadline today so but I think that it's good to see that he is playing at a high level and I think the Bruins are the beneficiaries of that and I think a number of guys have kind of found their scoring touch over the last couple games. And, you know, Marshand is back. He has not missed a beat. Had a couple goals in Saturday's game um, against the Sharks. Bruins played really well in that game. Jeremy Swayman was amazing. That's kind of, well, that will be a segue kind of into the next segment. Um, Jeremy Swayman's been unbelievable recently. He's played uh, the last three games against Colorado, Seattle, in San Jose was unbelievable in the third period in San Jose, made some crazy saves. And I think that he is um, definitely making a case to kind of be that main goaltender, you know, the number one, you know, 1A, whatever you want to say. Um, But he's been excellent. Um, And I think that that is great to see. I think great to see from a mental standpoint, as I think a lot of people were kind of curious to see how he would respond to you know, getting sent back down to Providence when Tuca came back, um, you know, how would that affect him? And then obviously things have kind of worked out for him that he's back here in Boston. And I think, you know, he has proven that, okay, he's passed that type of, he's passed that kind of, you know, 
moment in time, I guess, where he got sent down and now he's here and it's like, okay, we really, you know, speaking as the Bruins, we really need you to, you know, pick up your game. And he's done just that. He's been unbelievable 4-0, I think, in his last four starts uh, with a really good goals against and save percentage. So I think it's excellent to see him playing this well. And I think that, you know, for the Bruins to, you know, if the plan is to run him as kind of their number one or 1A or whatever you want to call it, the Bruins, I think, will continue to kind of give him some run toward the end of the season. Maybe he gets the majority of the starts. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see how he plays against playoff teams. Um, So obviously tonight against the Kings, if he does indeed make the start, I'll be very curious to watch that game um, and pay attention to how he does. Um, Obviously, Western Conference teams, it's a little bit of a different animal for me because it's like, okay, yes, those are playoff teams, but those are not teams that you're going to see in the playoffs. The teams that you're going to see in the playoffs are Florida, Tampa Bay, Carolina, the Rangers, the Penguins. How does he do against those teams? And I think that's the biggest thing for me. And I think that for the most part this year, he's not looked great against playoff teams, but obviously has had a couple of games against playoff teams are kind of close to that again with, with the Colorado game and then San Jose. San Jose, I don't think, is making the playoffs, but they're kind of near that threshold where it's like, okay, they're still a pretty talented team. So Kings, obviously, tonight, they're in the playoff chase. I think they're second in their division right now. Um, both of these teams have about the same amount of points. So curious to see how he does. You know, I think that as much as I think a lot of people want to kind of say that, okay, he's the number one, he's, you know, going to be this playoff starter, I think that that's legit. I think he's shown you that in the last couple of games. Um, but I also think, you know, you have two quality NHL goaltenders, and I think you want to remember that, you know, Jeremy is young, and I think, yes, you want to give him a run, but I also think that you want to be able to have Olmark in a rhythm as well so that you can have options at both of these goalie spots if either one of these guys, you know, has a tough stretch. Um, but I think the idea for the Bruins, I think, was to have kind of a 1A, 1B type of thing with Rask and, and Halak like you had a couple of years ago. Um, that sure, I think Swayman might be kind of the number one goalie, number one goalie right now, playoff starter, whatever you want to say. But I also think you know, you have two quality NHL goaltenders that you want to make sure that you're playing both of them, you know, at a decent clip that one of them does not get cold after not playing a lot of games. You know, I do, I am of the belief that I think it makes sense to have one goalie start in the playoffs, um, but the Bruins could decide to go a different route with that. Um, but Jeremy is uh, definitely making a case for uh, being that playoff starter at the moment, but certainly there is a lot of hockey to be played in the next few weeks. Um, you know, I'd be curious to see how the Bruins approach uh, the trade deadline in three weeks. Obviously, we'll have a trade deadline special of some kind on the podcast, so that will be interesting. Um, so taking a look at the Kings, who the Bruins will take on tonight, um, Andre Kopitar, obviously kind of their big um, star, I guess, so to speak. But um, Adrian Kempe has been unbelievable. Uh, Six goals in his last five games. 
is up to 25 goals on the season. Um, it's really been kind of a season of youth for the Kings. They've been a really good young team almost all year. Um, and I think both of these teams, obviously coming in with win streaks, Kings have won five straight and have won eight out of ten. Bruins have won four straight, six, three, and one in their last ten. But the Kings have been a really solid team. You know, I think goaltending has been a strength of theirs. Jonathan Quick has had a decent year. Um, Cal Peterson, the backup, has had a really good season as well. And I think that that goaltending tandem definitely deserves some credit for why the Kings are as good as they are. Um, but I think Hopitar, Kempe, Kempe obviously made the all-star team uh, for the first time. He's definitely a player to watch. Victor Arvidsson with 35 points, second on the team, or third on the team, excuse me, in points. Um, he's had a really good year coming over from Nashville's 15 goals, 20 assists. Philip Deneau um, coming over as a free agent from Montreal. He has 30 points, 15 goals, 15 assists. Alex Ayafalo is always a solid goal scorer. Um, Kempe and Kopitar, obviously, as you mentioned. Uh, Trevor Moore is having a really good season. He has 30 points. And then Drew Doughty is having a really good uh, point total season. His 30 points in 34 games is a plus 7. Um, so this is a good matchup for the Bruins. I think that um, the Kings are a team that I think are going to play hard. You know, they're a team that always always seems to play hard no matter what type of team they have. Um, this has kind of been a year that's come out of nowhere. I don't think anyone really thought that they would be competing for a playoff spot as they are right now. Kings are not necessarily great special teams-wise, uh, both in kind of the bottom five and penalty kill and power play percentage. Bruins are in the top 10 in both of those categories, power play percentage and penalty kill. Both of these teams are really good in the face-off dot, so I think whoever can control the face-offs tonight will win. The Bruins and the Kings will actually play um, a week from today. Um, at TD Garden, so Bruins will be seeing them again soon. So I think, you know, this is I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think you kind of saw that against San Jose. Um, can the Bruins make enough plays offensively to win this game? I think um, the skating legs are going to be huge with a back-to-back tomorrow night. You know, I'm curious to see how they come out in this game. Swayman, I think you would expect to start. Um, and then Olmark probably play in Anaheim tomorrow. Um, Anaheim is a pretty good team. They're a good young team. Um, they've kind of had some struggles recently. I think they're still in the playoff chase. We'll take a look at the standings in a little bit. Um, and then you got Vegas, you know, obviously bringing in Jack Eichel um, onto the ice a couple weeks ago. So he'll be playing. Uh, Mark Stone, I think, will be out for a good amount of time. Um, but uh, Vegas, to me, they're they're interesting. I don't think they're getting... Um, the best goaltending this year. And I think um, it's not really come together as well as people would have thought uh, with a team this talented. And, you know, look at the standings, but uh, Vegas is not really assured a spot in the playoffs. You know, we'll take a look um, in a little bit, but it's uh, kind of getting a little hairy um, in the Western Conference um, in terms of playoff spots, but good opponents this week for the Bruins. Um, and then they will play Columbus on Saturday. So I think that probably is it for the Bruins. If you have any other thoughts about the Bruins, don't hesitate to uh, you know, reach out to the uh, podcast Twitter, um, at NotBoston, or you can always reach out to me if you have any thoughts about the Bruins. So 
I think we'll move on to talk about the Celtics. Um, they came out of the All-Star break of one, two out of three. Um, a big win against the Nets on Thursday, and then a big win against the Pistons, in which uh, the bench had to come through and uh, kind of save the day on Saturday afternoon. Um, and then the Celtics, obviously, with a big loss to the Pacers yesterday. So I think for the most part, the Celtics have been able to pick up where they left off offensively um, with a really good performance against the Nets. Um, you know, the Celtics kind of ran away with that game. Um, the Nets obviously still without some of their key players, although they do seem to be very close to returning. So that is, you know, was good news for the Celtics on that day. You know, the Nets playing with a lot of backups. Um, but obviously that will be a little different when the Nets come into Boston um, on Sunday to play the Celtics, in which Kevin Durant may be healthy, Kyrie Irving may be available. So that could be a very different looking Nets team. Um, and then the Celtics obviously had a kind of a tough matchup against the Pistons. The Pistons have been uh, kind of a thorn in the Celtics' side this season. Uh, Celtics have won two out of three, but it's not been an easy game. It was not an easy game. It seemed to be going back and forth. You know, Pistons took a six-point lead in the fourth quarter, and then the Celtics' uh, bench came up huge, especially Peyton Pritchard had a number of shots, and the Celtics were able to get the win. Um you know, kind of a weekend of a really weird start. Celtics started at 12 o'clock on Saturday and then had a 5 o'clock start last night against the Pacers. And I think, you know, it was not a good combination. Um, I think coming off of a back-to-back an afternoon game, you know, which is already weird, um, the Celtics just really couldn't find the energy yesterday. Um, and I think just the combination of it being a getaway day on a road trip a second of a back-to-back, and then you're playing a Pacers team that loves to get up and down the floor, and they were knocking down threes like you wouldn't believe. You know, the Celtics made the Pacers look like the Warriors yesterday. It was kind of wild. It was like any any three they were shooting was going in. I think the Pacers definitely, I think the Pacers must have shot over 50% in this game. Um, if we take a look at the percentages, Celtics obviously shot did not shoot as well, shot 27%. Yeah, the Pacers, 17 for 33 from three-point range, 51%. Um, O'Shea Brissett had six threes. Tyrese Halliburton had four threes. Um, Four starters for the Pacers had 20 or more points. Tough shooting night for the Celtics. They did not scrape over 43%. Tatum at 24, Brown 23. No one else really did too much, although Peyton Pritchard did make four threes off the bench so he seems to be getting into a role he was kind of the or settling into his role he was kind of the main reason why the Celtics were able to beat the Pistons um, on Saturday afternoon as he had a huge game he had 19 points um, and then obviously followed it up yesterday with 14 off the bench Um, but he was outstanding and I think that you know he's someone that I think for the Celtics you want to continue to kind of nurture his role and, you know, see what he can do with these minutes. I mean, I think at the end of the day, sure, the Celtics brought in Dennis Schroeder on a cheap contract. I think it made sense. And the thought was like, okay, maybe he doesn't fit perfectly, but he could elevate your team if he plays really, really well. And I think for, to to Dennis's credit, I think that he played well for the majority of the time he played with the Celtics, but 
when you look at the roster and you look at the type of team the Celtics were trying to build and you look at the type of team that they are right now, a team that may not be the scariest offensive team, but when they're moving the ball and they are you know, playing with pace, they were a really good offensive team. And I think often Dennis Schroeder would come in and he would not play with that pace that you're seeing the Celtics play with right now. And I think that obviously was a problem because you have Schroeder eating into Pritchard's minutes. And I think it was clear to us last year that Peyton Pritchard could play. You know, he just, he was not just some rookie that you drafted at the end of the first round where it's like, okay, what is he really? We knew he could play from a pretty early point last year. And I think, I don't think it was a bad decision to bring in Schroeder, but I think that, you know, someone like Pritchard, there's a place for him in the NBA. And I think that he fits in better to what the Celtics are trying to do in terms of playing with pace. Um, you know, he had 19 points in that Pistons game at six assists. You know, he really made a huge difference. You know, had a good game yesterday, knocked down a couple threes. Celtics lost, obviously. But I think, you know, he's someone that I think really could be a huge asset for this team down the stretch and in the playoffs. You know, someone that can come off the bench, can handle the ball, um, but I think can be a knockdown shooter. Um, you know, attempted 12 shots on Saturday, was three for five from three, um, and then obviously had a couple threes yesterday. Um, but I think it's huge to see that he is kind of not developing into a role because we kind of knew what his role was going to be. But I think getting these minutes, and I think Ime Odoka is rewarding him. You know, he played 27 minutes in Saturday's game, and I think he is kind of showing some confidence in Peyton that it's like, okay, you know, if you can play this well, we'll continue to give you minutes. You know, Peyton was on the, on the floor for most of that fourth quarter in Detroit, you know, in a time that the Celtics typically had Rob Williams, you know, closing out the game and Peyton Pritchard was on the floor in the fourth quarter and really told you that, okay, maybe Ime is really starting to trust him. Um, and I think that that's huge. Um, this is a team that I think is really starting to, figure it out offensively and is really starting to do a great job passing the ball around, getting open shots for guys, um, and being aggressive offensively. And I think for sure the Celtics did not shoot well yesterday. You know, that's not, that's not a secret. Um, but I also think it's a game that I think, not that it's okay to lose games. You know, I think that it's going to happen, but I think it was one of those games where it's like, okay, it just was a bad combination of things. Um, you just were kind of low on energy and were playing a team that wanted to play fast and wanted to play quickly. Um, but I think the good news is the Celtics are, I think, still continuing to play good offensively or continuing to play good offense out of the break. I think that was one of the things that I was a little concerned about. Okay, how do they play after a week off? Um, but I think that they kept, they picked up where they left off. Obviously, we're going to see because the Celtics have a really important week ahead of them. They have three teams that are coming in that are pretty good. You know, I think that Atlanta, maybe they're not the best record-wise. You know, they're still battling for um, a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. But they're still a good team. You know, they gave you a good game a couple weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon, and they played really well. So that's not going to be an easy game. And then you have the Memphis Grizzlies coming in Thursday night. And then you have the Nets, you know, as I mentioned, coming in Sunday afternoon. So you have three really key games. You know, these are big home games. And I think 
the Celtics have an opportunity to prove to the NBA that, okay, we've done well against a lot of bad teams, but we can perform well against good teams too. So that Memphis game, you know, could end up being the biggest game of the season for the Celtics to date. Um, And then you got Brooklyn coming in on Sunday, presumably with Durant and Kyrie Irving. Not sure how close Ben Simmons is. I can't imagine that he'll be playing, playing in that game, but this is your kind of last chance to play against the Nets and see how you match up. You know, hopefully the Nets are as close to full strength as they can get, you know, so we can really see what the Celtics can do. Um, But I think this week will tell you a lot about this Celtics team. Have they truly turned the corner and are they truly a, you know, an elite level team in the Eastern Conference? You know, I think ball movement is huge. I think especially against Atlanta, you want to make them work defensively because they're a team that for the most part this year has not guarded very well. So I think you want to make them play defense. You want to tire them out as much as you can. Um, you know, we am talking about these teams, but specifically all three of these teams, very strong at the point guard position. So I think defensively, the Celtics really need to lock in against all three of these guys. Trey Young, John Morant, and Kyrie, you know, I think defensively, they really got to be, you know, on their game. And I think really can't afford to have lackadaisical effort like they did yesterday. But I think a big part of that was playing on a second of a back-to-back. The Celtics schedule this week is a little bit more spread out game on Tuesday, Thursday, and then Sunday afternoon. And then they don't play again until Wednesday in Charlotte. So I think, you know, it's a big stretch of games and I think well placed out and the Celtics are, you know, pretty healthy. You know, I think Al Horford did not play yesterday as they're trying to manage some of his minutes. So, you know, Tice played a good deal of the game yesterday. And I think that's something to watch. But I think the great thing about Tice is you can bring him in and you really don't lose a lot defensively. I think that's the area where, you know, Horford's been really strong as defensively. Obviously, he's not the same offensive player that he was five years ago, but I think he still can play at an elite level defensively. And I think going from Horford to Tice, you're really not losing a whole lot of defense. You know, I think Daniel's a guy who obviously can knock down some shots. We didn't really see that yesterday. Um, But hopefully as he kind of gets into more of a rhythm being back with the Celtics, you know, he can start knocking down those jump shots. So I think, you know, (laughs) continuing to be a theme, big week for the Bruins, really big week for the Celtics. Celtics are at home for all three of these games, which is great. You know, really hoping that the, you know, garden crowd can really kind of elevate them in all three of these games. And I think maybe starting to be like, okay, you know, we're ready for, for playoff basketball. Um, I think that it could be a playoff-type atmosphere um, against Memphis and Brooklyn, those games specifically. But big games for the Celtics. I think that if they can get two wins this week, I'll feel pretty happy. Um, you know, they can win all three. That's awesome. But I think the Celtics can, you know, take two out of three. Um, and the Celtics will go on the West Coast in a couple weeks. Um, But I think now is the time that the Celtics really need to start packing the wins and trying to get closer in that Eastern Conference. We'll take a look at the standings later in the show. Um, So we, I think now we're going to jump to talking about the Patriots. Um, 
not a lot going on with the team. Some would argue, actually, that that's not the case, that there is plenty of stuff going on. But I've been talking with a lot of folks this week about the offensive coaches um, for the Patriots and, you know, what that's going to look like. And I feel like it makes sense just to kind of expand on some of these thoughts. So I think at the current moment, it looks like, you know, Matt Patricia will be joining the offense, you know, as a line coach, you know, kind of, I think, where he started. Um, And then Joe Judge will be, you know, the quarterback's coach and kind of being the guy that's going to work most closely with Mac Jones. And naturally, I think that has some people a little concerned, I think, because of Joe's track record in in New York with the Giants and um, kind of how poorly that team played and specifically how poorly the quarterback played, you know, and that is what his job is going to be with Mac Jones. And I know that there's a lot of trepidation and rightfully so, you know, Joe is a guy who I think has not had a lot of, a lot of experience coaching offense, you know, was the wide receivers coach a couple years ago, but has been in the organization, I think knows what they're trying to do on offense. And I think him spending the most time with Mac Jones is really going to be beneficial. And I think, you know, if they're not going to go the route of naming a new coordinator, you know, then that is the relationship that's going to be most important. You know, obviously you have a couple of other coaches, Nick Cayley, who coaches the tight ends. He will most likely be involved in play calling, I would imagine. Um, But then I also think Brian Hoyer is a key component um, of what they might try to do. You know, not that he's going to play, but he could act as kind of a de facto offensive coach or coordinator or whatever you want to say, if the Patriots do indeed bring him back. Um, So I'm curious to see how that works. Um, But I think that the thing for me, at least, is you're not having Mac Jones learn a new offensive system. Um, And I think that that is the most important thing here. I think if you were not going to hire an Adam Gase or a Bill O'Brien the next best thing would to was to be, okay, maybe we don't hire an offensive coordinator, but we try to work with the guys that are, you know, in the system already and know what we're trying to do. And I think even if the Patriots did bring in Bill O'Brien, it was going to be a new offense that they were going to run. And I think for Mac Jones, who's going to be entering his second year to throw a whole new offense at him, I think is, I think could be a mistake. I really like Mac's mental makeup, and I really think that he is a kid that doesn't easily get overwhelmed with thing, with with offenses. But I do think that there's something to be said for running an offense that's going to be similar to the offense they ran last year so that he doesn't have to learn a whole new offensive playbook. You know, I think clearly that would be the case if they brought in someone like a truly outside person like Adam Gase, for example, But even if they brought in Bill O'Brien, that's still a new offense that Mac Jones has to learn. And I think you want him to be the most comfortable in whatever he's running. And I think if this is what is comfortable for him, then that's what matters. And I think, you know, it's it's an offense that I think is, is good for him right now. And I think they can expand some things. They can do some things differently. You know, undoubtedly, they will be doing some things differently with Josh McDaniels gone. But I think you want to keep him comfortable. He is the most important player on your roster right now. And I know that maybe that's a crazy statement. Maybe that's, 
a statement that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I do think that this is a quarterback-driven league. You know, you want your quarterback to be comfortable, and I think that's what the Patriots are doing, that, sure, hiring an offensive coordinator would make things a lot easier in some respects, but I think at a certain point, it's just semantics. You know, if you have an offensive, if you have an offense, an offensive system that you feel works well enough, you know, why do you feel, why, why do you want to go and change it? You know, I think that that's kind of the biggest thing where it's like, do you want Mac Jones running the similar, running a similar offense with coaches who understand and get the scheme, but you don't hire an offensive coordinator or would you rather hire a coordinator, have Mac Jones learn a whole new offense you know, while you're trying to probably integrate some new players into the offense, you know, drafting a free agency, whatever the Patriots decide to do. Um, and I think to me, you go with what's familiar. And maybe that's kind of the person that I am, that I kind of like to go with things that are familiar. But I think it makes sense for a young quarterback and a quarterback who I think has a lot of promise. And I think showed a lot of us a lot of positive things last year. And I think he developed, I think, a lot faster than a lot of us thought. And I think you want him to continue developing in the same system. You don't want to be stunting him by bringing in a whole new offense. Um, so I think that's just kind of my thoughts. Um, it is worth noting the, the, I think the, not the deadline, but like the time period that you can sign players to uh, franchise tags started, I think, a couple days ago. And that's where you had J.C. Jackson coming out and you know, making some statements about he's not sure if the Patriots care about him. And I'll be honest, that is concerning to me that he is making these comments um, because they think the Patriots are an organization where, you know, I don't know. I just think, like, that's not something that you see. You know, typically players that play for the Patriots do not say a lot of things in the media. And I think... That's kind of by design. The Patriots kind of want to keep guys that are going to be here and maybe not be a distraction. I don't want this to sound like I'm sounding off on J.C. Jackson, which I, I don't think I am. I mean, he's a tremendous player and has been really good the last two years. Um, but I think that if you're J.C. Jackson, you don't want to give the Patriots any reason to be like, oh, you know, you're replaceable. And I think making some of the comments that he made, it's kind of adding insult to injury, to be perfectly honest. And I think he kind of needs to know better. And look, I understand that he wants to get paid and he wants to be, you know, paid near the top of most where most cornerbacks are paid because, you know, honestly, he is really good. But I also think, I don't know, it just, it just was strange timing. And I also think the Patriots still have until March 8th to franchise tag him and, while maybe that's not the best route to go, I still think it's a possibility. So, you know, it's just those comments were interesting. I mean, I think it'd be curious to see, you know, what the Patriots decide to do with him. They could let him walk. And I think there's precedent for that. There's precedent for letting talented players walk and get a huge big money deal. But then the Patriots are able to kind of reacquire or acquire some depth to kind of help that. Um, to help soften that blow. We've seen it many times with Ty Law, Malcolm Butler, you know, even Stefan Gilmore to an extent, you know, as much as people 
got pissed off with the way the Patriots let him go or whatever. The Patriots did manage pretty well last season. Um, and I think part of the reason the Patriots might be dragging their feet, so to speak, is Jalen Mills was really good last year. And the Patriots are going to be getting Jonathan Jones back in the fold this year after he suffered a shoulder injury at some point, I think in the regular season. Not to say that J.C. Jackson is expendable and the Patriots can afford to let him walk, but it's like you kind of can. You know, you look at some of the talent the Patriots have in the cornerback position already, but then you look at some of the guys that they could bring in in the draft and you could bring someone along on a rookie contract someone like Roger McCreary from Auburn or someone else who's a really, you know, high-level cornerback, the Patriots could afford to let J.C. Jackson go. And I don't think it's really that crazy. I mean, I know a lot of people would get mad if the Patriots did indeed do that, but the Patriots are always thinking ahead, and they're always thinking steps ahead. And I think there has to be some type of plan um, if the plan is to not let, or if the plan is to let J.C. Jackson walk. Um, but I don't know if that's the plan. The Patriots, I think, at this point in the year are turning a lot of their attention to the scouting combine um, and kind of less about guys who are potential free agents. You know, not to say that they don't care about J.C. Jackson, but I think once the combine is over, they may start to focus on, okay, here are some free agents that we want to bring back. Here are some free agents that we're willing to let them test the open market. So... It's going to be curious to see, you know, I think in the next week plus, you know, as we approach the March 8th tag deadline, I think that will be something to keep your eye on. Um, so speaking of the uh, NFL Scouting Combine, the um, annual event for prospective uh, draft, uh, potential draft picks um, in April, uh, it's always an interesting time of year. You know, I think it's always an interesting thing to watch with the scouting combine. You know, it's not always, you know, the sexiest thing to watch, but it's like, you know, that players or coaches and GMs from across the league, you know, do enjoy this time of year. They can take a look at some of these draft prospects. I do really think the events are cool. You know, 40-yard dash, you know, always gets people excited on social media, but um, this will be an interesting year because I do think the Patriots have a couple of needs that they could address, um, and there will be plenty of guys that I think will make um, appearances at the Combine. There are some players that I think are choosing not to compete if they have an injury or if they want to compete at their um, pro days, which come up in March usually. Um, but I thought this was an interesting article. I came across something this morning um, on it. Patriots.com, Mike Dussault, Patriots.com writer, um, took a look at five positions um, or certain positions that, you know, could end up being solid fits for the Patriots. And obviously, wide receiver is one of the areas I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Jameson Williams is someone to keep your eye on. I also think John Mechie, both guys at Alabama. But another name, which I thought was interesting, is I read in the Globe this morning, Slade Bolden. Um, was another wide receiver who played at Alabama, and he could be someone that the Patriots could be paying attention to in the later um, days of the draft, day two or day three, um, as all three of these guys obviously went to Alabama, are familiar with Mac Jones, and 
you know, the Patriots do not have a great track record drafting wide receivers, but they could go the route of, okay, drafting players that are familiar with Mac Jones so that it's not like the Patriots have to develop this person from the start, that there can be some type of connection already. Um, Some guys to watch, I think, um, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Um, I think if there's a possibility Chris Olave could fall to 21, that would be a great fit for the Patriots. Uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, George Pickens from Georgia, uh, Drake London, USC. Just some guys to pay attention to that could get picked um, on day one. Jahan Dotson is also someone to take a look at. Um, Kyle Phillips maybe in day two or day three. So those are some names in the wide receiver spot. Um, Offensive tackle, I think, could be something that could be worth paying attention to um, with Trent Brown slated to hit free agency and Isaiah Wynn entering the final year of his contract or final year of his rookie deal. So this could be a position the Patriots look at. Uh, Cornerback, obviously, as we mentioned. Um, Obviously, we mentioned Roger McCreary, but also um, Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati, Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson, um, I think would also make a lot of sense at cornerback as well. Um, Linebacker is also a big spot. Uh, Devin Lloyd, N'Kobe Dean, both from Utah and Georgia, um, I think are pretty popular picks, but I don't know if they're going to fall to 21. Um, as this draft is, I don't want to say weak because I do think it's deep in a lot of areas, but I think this could be a draft where a lot of guys could, a lot of teams could reach on guys like Devin Lloyd or Nicobe Dean in the top 10, you know, that they could get picked in the top 10 or they could fall to the Patriots at 21. It's really kind of hard to get a read on some of these guys. Um, Christian Harris, Chad Muma, uh, Darren Beavers, all three of those guys could be um, good fits as well, perhaps later in the first round. Um, also, another spot that I think could be interesting is running back. Um, the Patriots could feel pretty good about, you know, both Harrison Stevenson and James White coming back. Um, but I think with, I believe... James White is a free agent, and Brandon Bold is a free agent. So the Patriots, you know, could decide to look at some guys in the draft if neither of those guys return. Um, so actually, all those positions were um, thoughts of Mike Dassault. They actually weren't my my thoughts. I realized that I kind of phrased that weirdly. That it's like, no, these are the thoughts of the Patriots.com writer, not me. I wasn't like, oh, I thought of this. No, these are all five positions that um, he thought would be good fits. Or potential good fits with the Patriots, and I definitely would agree. Um, so, obviously, if you're into the combine, um, here's a little kind of primer for you, and you want to watch or pay attention to. Um, it actually starts tomorrow. The um, coverage will start, I believe, on NFL Network tomorrow. I think that technically it started today, um, but I think that. The on-field workouts actually will not begin until Thursday. Um, So definitely something to keep your eye on if you're interested in watching um, any of that stuff. Um, Yeah, definitely, definitely check it out on NFL Network. Um, I know this week is always interesting to watch, see some of the 
um, not events, but like things that they have the players do the, you know, long jump, 40 yard dash, you know, whatever. Um, so I think that will probably do it for the Patriots. Uh, we will move on to the, um, to the uh, Boston team that uh, started their regular season this past week in the revolution uh, began their, began their season on Saturday night with a 2-2 draw in Portland against the Timbers, the MLS runners-up from last year. Um, and it was a good, solid game. The Revolution able to pick up a point uh, in the 2-2 tie. It was a good, solid game. You know, I thought that the Revolution, you know, held their own in this type of game, and I think showed, showed that, okay, this is a team that, um, is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Revolution get the first goal right before halftime. Brandon by Portland scored twice in the second second half. Sebastian Legette actually scored um, his first goal for the Revolution in his first game. Um, so that was good to see. So a lot of positives to take out of this game. I thought the Revolution played pretty well offensively. You know, it's always huge to get goals from you know, unexpected sources. Brandon by obviously did not score too many goals last year, um, but Sebastian Legette, I think you definitely should expect that he is a bit of a goal scorer for the Revolution. Uh, Carlos Hill is also wearing a New Jersey number, which did not occur to me until I was watching the game. Um, so he switched from 22 to 10. Um, Earl Edwards Jr. was in goal for the Revolution. Obviously, we all know about Matt Turner, who will be joining Arsenal in June. Um, I think he is out with an injury right now, so that's why Edwards played. Um, and honestly, didn't look bad. I thought the Revolution had some breakdowns defensively on both of the goals, and I think you know that's gonna that the defense is gonna be a work in progress, um, especially in the central. I know that the Revolution brought in Omar Gonzalez, and I don't hate the move because you know Omar is a guy who's been around the MLS for years. You know, is a a favorite of Bruce Arena has won a number of MLS Cups, um, has been on a number of MLS uh, best 11 teams, you know, all-star teams, I guess. Um, but I just think it's going to be an adjustment period with Andrew Farrell playing with uh, Gonzalez because obviously he had a lot of experience playing with Henry Kessler last year. Um, and it kind of seems like maybe Kessler is going to be a guy that's going to be on the bench for most of this year, which... I understand the idea of bringing in Gonzalez, you know, with experience, but I also think, you know, there's something to be said for the continuity between Kessler and Farrell um, and bringing in a whole nother person um, and kind of, I don't know. I just, it, I think that it will be an adjustment period for the two of them playing together. And I guess I'm just curious, you know, what that's going to mean for, for Kessler's role. You know, is he going to be someone that's going to be on the bench for most of the season? Um, I think that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, you know, Sebastian Legette obviously will be someone to pay attention to um, as he kind of will assume the role of Tejon Buchanan, but he will be playing, I think, uh, a different side of the field, like the left side of the field. Um, be interesting to see how Josie Altidore fits in. He played 10 minutes um, on Saturday as a substitute, you know, it kind of seems like he will fill into kind of a Teal Bunbury type role um, where he'll be a forward that comes in as a substitute, may start from time to time. Hard to, it's, it's hard to really expect a lot from him, um, but I do think he could be a useful sub 
as a forward, you know, as someone to spell Buxa or Bo um, and possibly step into a larger role should Buxa, you know, go away to Italy at some point this season, as uh, John Veneziano, who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, um, alluded to. Um, but it's a good start to the season. Really looking forward to watching uh, the Revs this season. I do think they're going to be a very good team. You know, I think that they're definitely going to be a team that challenges for the MLS Cup. Um, but I think really what's going to make the difference is how do the Revolution answer the goaltending question? You know, and obviously the, we probably will not know a lot about that until Matt Turner does indeed go go overseas to play um, in England. Um, so I'm curious to see does Earl Edwards Jr. kind of get the net for most of the season to the Revolution, do something crazy and bring in someone. Um, but I think for the moment, Matt Turner will be the starter. Obviously, he's out right now. Uh, with an injury, but I think goaltending, it's going to come down to goaltend, goaltending and defense, I think, with this team. I think that this team is going to have more than enough offensive firepower, you know, even if Buxa does move on. I mean, I still think you have Bo, you have Heal, you have Legit, who's in, um, you know, Altador will give you a little bit of offense. Um, I don't think that they're going to miss a beat offensively. Defensively is kind of the area that I'm most interested about, Um you know, Brandon by Dewan Jones, really excited to see how they do this season um, with kind of a larger role, I think. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the Revolution do um, in the early part of the season. They will play um, their next MLS game next Saturday. It's their home opener at Gillette Stadium Saturday at 1.30 against FC Dallas and then the Revolution will play in the CONCACAF Champions League, which will begin on March 9th. They'll play Pumas Unam from the uh, Mexican League, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so first leg of that. First leg of that is Wednesday, March 9th, and then they will be on the road on March 16th. Um, so the Revolution will play both of these Champions League matches in the month of March in between while they play in the MLS. They will have uh, games against Real Salt Lake and then Charlotte FC um, in the month of March. Charlotte FC, yes, is a new expansion MLS team, so that will be interesting to see how the Revs do. Um, but I would expect that the Revs are going to have another strong season. Um, I don't expect that they're going to score or that they're going to have 70 points in a season like they did last year. Um, but I do expect that they're going to be a good team that's going to definitely have something to say about the Eastern Conference, you know, MLS Cup, hopefully. Um, but I think, again, the how far this team will go in the playoffs will depend on the defense and the goaltending. Um, I think that's really kind of the biggest question mark. Um, but they're going to be a good team this year. It'll be exciting to watch. So if you have the opportunity to get down to Gillette and go see the boys play, uh, they're going to be really, really good, I believe, this year. So I think that's going to do it for the Revolution. And we will take a look at some notes from outside of the uh, Boston arena, so to speak. I will take a look at the NHL, some uh, notes from games over the weekend. The uh, Tampa Bay Lightning beating the Predators 3-2 at Nissan Stadium in the um, stadium series. That was pretty cool. Uh, to see highlights of so i think that was that was it for the out or actually there is the uh, heritage classic 
in two weeks between uh, Buffalo and Toronto. So they'll be playing outdoors, but kind of a neat scene in Tennessee. Um, the Stars beat the Sabres yesterday. The Sabres have lost six in a row. Uh, Hurricanes winning for the fifth straight game. Um, we'll take a look at the standings now. The Bruins, um, interestingly enough, have jumped the Capitals for the first wildcard spot. Bruins with a one-point lead over Washington. Bruins do have two games in hand. So pretty interesting there is the Bruins have jumped to that first wildcard position. At the current moment, the Bruins would be... Um, slated to play Florida. Um, I do think that the Bruins, you know, obviously this is going to be out of their control, I think, in terms of trying to manipulate the standings in a way that could they try to shoot for a certain division that they want to play against. I'm not thinking that that's going to happen. That doesn't really seem like in the Bruins' DNA to, you know, play for a certain matchup. Um, but I do think the Bruins would definitely be in a better spot if they fell into the Metro playoffs. Um, I just think if the Bruins have a way that they could draw Pittsburgh or the Rangers in the first round, I think you sh you would want to take that chance versus having to play Florida or Tampa Bay or even Toronto. I know the Bruins have had Toronto's number in the playoffs, but Toronto's playing unbelievable hockey offensively, and I think for the Bruins to have a hope of making it far in the playoffs, they're probably going to need to be in the Metro. And if it shakes out that they play Carolina, obviously that doesn't look good. I don't think the Bruins could beat Carolina in a seven-game series, but I'll be honest, I think I like their chances better if they're playing against Pittsburgh or the Rangers um, than having to play against Florida or Tampa Bay in the first round. Um, but obviously it will shake out the way that it shakes out, and the Bruins can't really do anything about it. Um, but I guess that will be something interesting to watch, you know, as we get closer to the end of the regular season, where do the, the matchups kind of fall into place? Um, so currently in the Metro Carolina, atop the division, a four point lead, four, four point lead over Pittsburgh, and then a seven point lead over the Rangers, Florida in first place in the Atlantic, Tampa Bay second, just a point back. And then Toronto is three points back, um, and then Bruins ahead of Washington by a point. Columbus is the next closest Eastern Conference team, uh, but Washington is 10 points clear of the Blue Jackets, who've been playing pretty well recently. In the West, Colorado with a 12-point lead over St. Louis, um, and then Minnesota is in third in the Central. In the Pacific, Calgary has uh, catapulted to top of the division. Los Angeles is in second, Vegas in third. And then in the wildcard position, Nashville in first, Dallas in second, Edmonton right behind Dallas, just a, or even actually in points. Dallas has a game in hand. Anaheim is two points back. Vancouver is three from the final wildcard spot. Um, so I mentioned Vegas earlier. You know, they've kind of stumbled a little bit, but, you know, looking at the division standings, you know, Edmonton is in the Pacific. They're just a point back of Vegas. And, you know, if something crazy happens, Vegas could miss the playoffs. Um, I think that that's entirely possible, um, you know, if Edmonton starts to get on a roll, if Anaheim starts to get on a roll again. Um, but that will be interesting to watch. It's going to be very fascinating to watch the Western Conference playoffs because I do believe that there will be a team, there, there will be one or two really good teams that miss the playoffs. 
um, in the Western Conference. I'm curious to see how that will shake out the rest of the season, and it could have um, an impact on certain trades. You know, Dallas, they may not be making any trades. Vancouver, you know, is three points back of the of the second wild card. They may be inclined to hang on to some of their assets to see if they could make a playoff push. So that will also be something interesting to pay attention to. In the NBA, the uh, Sixers welcoming James Harden to the lineup. They've won their first two games, had a bevy of free throws that helped beat the Knicks yesterday. Uh, The Mavericks rebounded from a 19-point deficit to beat the Warriors. Michael Porter Jr. and uh, Jamal Murray, it seems to be that they will be potentially available before the start of the playoffs. Um, They have been out the majority of the season. And then, actually I meant to mention the NHL games that are happening uh, tonight. The Bruins obviously will play at 10.30. There are just three games on the schedule, including the Bruins. Uh, Vancouver and the Devils will play at 7.30, and then Toronto and Washington will play at 7.30. Um, In the NBA, some games tonight, Minnesota and Cleveland, at 7 o'clock, Toronto and Brooklyn at 7.30, Chicago, Miami at 7.30, battle of the two top teams in the East, San Antonio and Memphis will play at 8, and then Charlotte and Milwaukee will play at 8. That game is on NBA TV. We'll take a quick look at the NBA standings. The Celtics in a pretty good spot in the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference, just one game back of the Bucks, a game and a half back of the Cavaliers. The Heat are still in first place. Just a game ahead of the Bulls. Both of those teams will play tonight. Um, The Sixers are in third place. Cavs fourth, Bucks fifth, Celtics sixth. And then in the play-in, the Raptors, the Nets, the Hornets, and the Hawks, seven to ten, respectfully. respectively. And then the uh, Wizards are two points back of the last playoff spot. So the Hawks, the Celtics will play uh, on Tuesday. So be curious to see how they do. Um, And then out west... You have the Suns in first place by six games over the Warriors. The Grizzlies are in third. They'll roll into Boston on Thursday. Utah's in fourth. Dallas fifth. Denver sixth. And then in the play-in, Minnesota seventh. The Clippers eighth. Lakers ninth. And the Pelicans tenth. And Portland is even in the in the standings for that final play-in spot. I think that New Orleans has an advantage uh, there. So... Yeah, things will get very interesting in the Western Conference. Um, The East, obviously. I think the Celtics still have some room to maneuver if they could get higher up in the standings. I don't think that a top three seed is out of the question. I really don't think it is. I think the Celtics could possibly make some more noise. Celtics are a pretty good home team. They get three home games this week, so I'd be curious to see how they can do against Atlanta, Brooklyn, and Memphis. So I think that's probably it for the NBA. Um, In the world of college basketball, uh, we are up on the dawn, or right right at the end of February, right before March, on the dawn of uh, March Madness. Um, Had some crazy upsets that happened. Maybe not upsets, but a lot of top 10 teams lost uh, this week in action. So looking at... The new top 25, Gonzaga still first, um, despite losing to St. Mary's this weekend. 
Uh, Arizona second, Baylor third, Duke fourth, Auburn in fifth. And then Kansas, Kentucky, Purdue, Providence, and Wisconsin uh, rounding out the top 10. Providence taking home their first um, regular season title in the Big East. So starting to get interesting in college basketball with uh, the end of this, the end of the regular season will come up this weekend. Um, some teams that dropped, teams that dropped in the rankings. Uh, Purdue dropped from number four to number eight. UCLA dropped to seventeen. Illinois dropped to twenty. You had UConn and St. Mary's making some jumps. Um, Baylor jumping up all the way to third after their win over Kansas. Um, so one week to go in the regular season. We got some uh, good games on tap tonight. Uh, Third-ranked Baylor and 21st-ranked Texas will play at 9 o'clock on ESPN. And then tomorrow, you have Providence and Villanova. Ninth-ranked Providence, 11th-ranked Nova. That should be a really good game. And then Purdue and Wisconsin, two top 10. Big 10 teams will play at 9 o'clock. Um, and then Arizona and USC will play at 11 o'clock. Both of those teams are ranked. And then... As we are approaching March, we'll take a quick look at the uh, women's top 25. Uh, South Carolina still in first, getting all 30 of their uh, votes for first for the for the top seed or top ranked team. Uh, Stanford, NC State, Louisville, and Baylor round out the top five. Uh, Baylor fifth ranked against ninth ranked Iowa State. They will play tonight. Uh, women's, I believe that their championship week is coming up or will be this week, I think later this week. Um, so that will be something to pay attention to. And then obviously the men's champ championship week will happen next week. Matt Plew and I will certainly talk about that uh, quite a bit on Friday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, obviously, before we let you guys go, wish that I had more of an update for Major League Baseball. Um, but I don't, you know, it's... Uh, I don't know. You know, I wish that I could kind of give you guys some insight, but I'm kind of kind of lost here. You know, Major League Baseball, I think, announced that um, if they cannot come to an agreement by today, that regular season games could be canceled. Um, I think a lot of spring training games have been canceled, and it's just uh, it's kind of sad what's going on. And I think it's, uh, you know, there's there's really not a whole lot of positive spin to this. You know, it's just all about money. That's kind of what it always is. And um, it just, I don't know, it seems like it should be a little simpler than what it is, but maybe it's not. You know, maybe I don't really know about this as deep as maybe I should. You know, I think having someone like Eric Bellier to come in and talk at some point, you know, I think would help a lot of, would help me out, would help a lot of our listeners out, you know, if we're not really sure what is going on. And I'll be honest, like, Baseball is not a sport that I pay attention to, you know, a lot. You know, I think that it's a sport that, you know, and maybe that kind of speaks to the lockout in a, in like in, in a larger way that maybe, you know, that's kind of how baseball is going. I'm not going to say that I'm not a baseball fan because I love watching the Red Sox. They're, you know, a great franchise to follow, but I think, you know, it's it's a tough thing because I think I think naturally a lot of us want to kind of have the backs of the players and the players uh, 
association to kind of be like, okay, you know, it's the owners that are kind of, you know, screwing things up. But, you know, I don't, I don't really know in depth of, you know, what's really going on. I just know that they've been trying to meet, but are not really making much progress, you know, and I think at this point, you need to be making huge progress because, you know, it's, it's like, as I said, last week or the week before, you know, when this expired in December, it was like, okay, you have plenty of time, but now it's like it's March and nothing has changed. And it's just like um, this could end up being a huge problem that you could end up losing a chunk of the regular season. And it could end up being like, okay, we're only going to play 100 games. You know, that's kind of what it looks like right now. And I don't want to sound the alarm, but it's like, I really don't see anything changing in the next week or so. And you know, you're going to lose a lot of regular season games. So I think something has to change. Something needs to get figured out because you're going to lose a big chunk of the regular season, you know, if things can't get figured out in the next few weeks. So that's kind of where things stand. But, you know, the minute that there is something, we will be, you know, out to you guys talking baseball, talking, you know, free agency. There's still a lot of free agents that haven't been signed. So that's the other thing that's going to be really kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, we'll keep you updated if any of that changes. Um, so I think that does it for me this week. Um, glad, glad I can continue to to do this. You know, it's uh, great to get feedback from a lot of people. So um, as always, I'm always open to feedback. You know, if you want to message the um, the podcast on Twitter or on Facebook, if you want to message me, if you want to text me or whatever. Um, just let me know. I'm always open to suggestions. Um, but as always, you can follow the socials on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can listen app on Apple and uh, Spotify. And um, yeah, I think that's going to do it. So uh, really excited to bring Matt Plew on the podcast uh, later this week. So definitely don't miss that. Um, so we will talk to you guys then.